0: Hello friends. This is the Tarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's NeatartsFriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. The most ancient story of disconnection from God in the Bible is a story of shame. The story begins with Adam and Eve in the garden, and were specifically told that they were naked and that they were not ashamed. But after eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, We're told that they were afraid. And that is the first mention of fear in the Bible. Genesis 3 verse 10. We're told that they hid and that they tried to cover themselves. They were trying to hide from themselves, from others, and from God. Trying to hide from themselves. This isn't only a picture of like every person who looks at their body in a bathroom mirror with self-loathing. Yes, it is, but it's more. It's every time you see a photo of yourself or watch a video of yourself and cringe. Is that what I look like? Is that what I sound like? It's every message of self-depreciation that plays in your head. I'm awful. I'm ugly. I'm dumb. Adam and Eve also tried to hide from one another. It wasn't only the way they felt about their own bodies and their own self. A new question was introduced. Well, what does that other person think of me? And that ancient fear has plagued humanity down through the centuries. Am I a person of value and worth in the eyes of my village, my community? We wonder what other people are thinking of us, and we fill in the blank in a myriad of ugly ways. Adam and Eve begin acting like outsiders from God. They hid from God. They were acting like outsiders long before they left the Garden of Eden. They no longer felt worthy of love, belonging, and connection They were no longer accepting invitations to take a nice walk with God through the garden in the cool of the day. Historians, anthropologists, and biblical scholars all tell us that all social behavior in ancient times was deeply influenced by the need to avoid shame within the community. Avoiding shame was a really big deal. Shame is an ugly kind of fear, and it kills all hope for a connection. Neuroscientific research tells us that shame isn't only in our head, it's also in our bodies. So the research shows us that the feelings of rejection and self-loathing and pain that people feel in the midst of shame Those feelings are every bit as real as feelings of real physical pain. So shame isn't just in your head. It's as real as physical pain that you feel in your body. Brene Brown says, Shame is one of the most primitive and universal emotions on the planet. It is fear of disconnection. Shame is the intense feeling that washes over us and makes us feel so flawed that we question whether we are worthy of love, belonging, and connection. It's the never good enough emotion. Its power to make us feel we're not worthy is unmatched in the realm of emotion. So wherever perfectionism is driving us, shame is riding shotgun. So if guilt is, I made a mistake, shame is, I am a mistake. If guilt is, I did something bad, shame is, I am bad. Shame turns your mistakes into your identity. Shame can be intensely personal, like how you see yourself. It can be a public reality, how you think other people see you or how they actually see you. For some people, hiding from themselves in shame means they really don't know what they're feeling, and it's all just a blur. They have physical sensations, but they don't know what they are or what they mean. Tears come, but they're not sure why. They can't name their own emotions. Am I angry? Am I sad? Am I afraid or what? They're hiding from themselves in shame. Shame has a chronic nature to it. It's not like a thought that comes and goes. It sticks with you. In shame, you have no idea how exactly to be good enough and measure up. You only know that you aren't good enough and you don't measure up. In shame, you develop a real fixation on your faults. So you look in the mirror and you can't appreciate your nice calf muscles because all you can see are those love handles that you've hated for years. That's shame. And and fill in my example with whatever body parts you want to or other attributes. Shame is the reason that someone can give you five compliments, five positive, affirming comments, but they make a negative comment, something about you that isn't very good, and you can't stop fixating on that negative comment. The fear driving those thoughts is shame. Shame keeps us from offering the gifts that we've been given to others. We don't see what we have to offer as valuable and worthwhile. Messages of shame can come intentionally or unintentionally from unaccepting parents. We feel the pressure to win their approval and their affirmation by doing whatever they want us to do and becoming whoever they want us to become. As a child grows up, no matter how old they are, if they come to a point where they realize that they can't do what their parent wants them to do, that they can't become who their parent wants them to become, they can be flooded with feelings of shame. I'm a disappointment to my parent. My parent is impossible to please. I listened to someone recently reflect on how they didn't end up going to college, where their parent wanted them to go to college, I've listened to people reflect on how they didn't play the sport their parent wanted them to play. They didn't take the job their parent wanted them to take. And a million different versions of how people don't become, they don't fulfill their parents' dreams for them. They don't become who their parent wanted them to become. And it's easy for even an inkling, a hint of those kinds of feelings to turn into an experience of shame. But it isn't only parents. Shame can occur in all kinds of situations where people feel pressured by an authority figure of some kind. The authority figure is saying you need to do the right thing And the messages have this flavor of you should, you should, you should. And somewhere within that, an experience of shame can happen. Shame is what makes you feel like you have to hide something about yourself. Whether it's your addiction, your struggle with anger, your struggle with math, your struggle with depression. It's feeling like you have to wear a mask because if everyone actually knew the real you, they would reject you. And so you feel unworthy of connection. Lewis Smeeds points out that shame is constantly reinforced by a culture that says, you aren't blank enough. Fill in the blank with whatever. Tall, thin, strong, funny, sexy, smart, wealthy, etc. Every day, the advertisement industry and social media send us hundreds of messages that cause us to feel dissatisfied with who we are. They play on our tendency to make social comparisons. Am I a person of value and worth in the eyes of my village? If I was more like so-and-so, if I owned the products that they own, then I'd be a person of value and worth in the eyes of my village, my community it also affects us that we live in a land of perceived opportunity, the the land where we're told we can become anything and do anything, and that's a perfect setup for shame to thrive. When people end up feeling trapped, kind of like a hamster on a wheel, and they're working at a job they really don't like, and it pays less than they'd like, and they're working longer hours than they would like, And they're facing more bills than they would like. They sometimes might wish they could just start over, choose a different life, choose a different path, but they feel trapped. And now they're just trying to survive. And they wonder, if I live in a land that said I could become anything and do anything, but I didn't become who I wanted to become and I'm not doing what I want to do, then where's the problem? Who's the problem? And when people's lives feel like they lack purpose, meaning, fulfillment, that's where shame really rears its ugly head and starts sending these messages. Well, you're the problem. It's your own fault. You aren't good enough. You aren't capable enough. And it will always be this way. You don't deserve any better. This is who you are. This is your identity. So can you see the way that shame tries to creep into every corner of life? Shame is the most primitive and universal emotional experience of disconnection from self, others, and God that exists. C.S. Lewis says, I sometimes think that shame does as much towards preventing good acts and straightforward happiness as any of our vices can do. So, a quick discussion question. We chatted about this on Sunday, and if you're listening on your own, just take a moment and reflect on this. So, would you tend to agree with this quote from C.S. Lewis? Why or why not? Take a moment and think on that. Alright, so what does all of this shame business have to do with faith and doubt? We're in our faith and doubt series, and when I asked the question at the beginning of our faith and doubt series, what has rocked your faith the most, nobody came right out and said, shame, no one wrote that in their answer, and yet... I think that shame exists underneath many of the doubts and experiences of disconnection that were shared. The experience of shame can cause you to act like an outsider to God. That's what it did to Adam and Eve, and it's part of this whole phenomenon. But before I just jump right in and start reading the answers to that survey and saying oh, this is shame, I have to pause because pointing to shame in the answers that you all wrote could make whoever wrote each of those answers feel even more shame. Like, thanks a lot, Aaron, for piling on the shame even more. You're shaming me for experiencing shame. And so I need to pause. I need to say up front, everyone experiences shame. You're not weird. You're not bad if I happen to read what you wrote in just a moment here. You're normal. There's nothing wrong with you for writing this. Psychologist Brene Brown, who's spent a lot of her career working on shame, she points out that the only people who don't experience shame are sociopaths. They have no capacity for empathy and human connection. So, If I read your answer, you could hear it as an affirmation of your capacity for empathy and human connection. So, here are some of the answers to this question, what has rocked your faith the most, that could possibly have shame underneath them. Here we go. Am I worthy of a relationship with God? It's easy to feel that I don't deserve what God has for me. What has rocked your faith the most? Losing connection to why it, faith, God matters. Am I really where I should be, doing what I should be doing? What does God really want from me? How disappointed is God if I'm not a radical, give it all, risk my life in Africa kind of Christian. Just not feeling it. How real is my faith if I'm not preaching on street corners or giving everything to the homeless? Am I a fraud? A weenie Christian? Not being able to let go of some things. What has rocked your faith the most? I sometimes struggle to keep my connection as strong as I want it to be. Like, if my connection isn't strong, then I'm doing something wrong, or I'm forgetting something. My faith is a picture that's still developing. The hardest part is saying that we're always doing God's will, but never knowing 100% if it's true. Being judged. Having my opinion ignored or discounted. I walked away from church as a young adult. I believed God was almighty and powerful, but I was afraid of God. I was certain God wanted nothing to do with me. Now then, once again, if I just read something that you wrote and you recognize it, there's no shame in having experienced what you have experienced. Everyone experiences shame, and that shame can cause us to hide from ourselves, to hide from others, and to hide from God. And so we act like outsiders while God's still treating us like insiders. It is no surprise that the most primitive and ancient name for evil in the Bible is the accuser. The voice of the accuser is the voice of shame. It's the voice that makes us want to hide from ourselves and from others and from God. And the voice of God is never the voice of shame. Notice, in the very first story of shame and everything unraveling, when God came to Adam and Eve and they were hiding in the garden, hiding from themselves and from one another and from God, God asks this gentle question, Who told you that you are naked? Now, notice there, God is not the one pointing out that they are naked. God doesn't say, "Uh, You're naked. God says, Who told you that you're naked? We so often think that God is the one pointing out our nakedness. But God points out that the voice of shame is a different voice. Who told you? So let's spend just a little bit of time with that question. Who told you? When you find that you're hiding from yourself, hiding from others, acting like an outsider with God, and you hear a voice or voices saying, you're not blank enough you don't measure up, you're not worthy, you aren't doing enough. The question is, whose voice are you hearing? And there are a number of possibilities. One of them is transference. Transference is kind of the plug-and-play phenomenon, where we take our feelings and our emotions from one experience or one relationship, and we Plug them into a different experience. I think of it as hearing an echo from a past painful experience. So an example might be someone at work starts correcting you for something. And you respond real quick without thinking. And you say, Dad, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to do it, Dad. And (laughs) they're like, "Uh, I'm... I'm not your dad. It's transference. Psychologists tell us it's a common experience. When you are hearing that voice saying, you don't measure up, you're bad, you're not worthy of belonging or connection, you might be hearing an echo from the past. Perhaps an unaccepting parent, perhaps a pastor, Who tried to shame you into doing the right things by shooting on you. You should, you should, you should. Perhaps a coach who was impossible to please. Perhaps a lifetime of hearing a culture tell you you're not blank enough, whatever it is. Perhaps a church culture that celebrated certain kinds of gifts and abilities and talents. Like missionaries or certain kinds of leaders, but not people Who mow the lawn or bring fresh flowers or whatever it is you have to offer. So it's possible you're hearing that echo from the past. It's also possible that who told you that voice you're hearing could be from real people right now. Relationships or a culture that is saying right now you're not blank enough. We humans are constantly playing the social comparison game. And social media takes this tendency and amplifies it, turns it into an addictive cocktail. So you might be hearing from people and playing social comparison games. That might be who told you. Who told you it could be your own negative self-talk? When we're hiding from ourselves, we can become trapped in self-loathing. We don't like who we are. We're the ones who think we're bad and undeserving and worthy. St. Augustine wrote, How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? So when Jesus says that the second most important commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, He's working off of the foundation that you truly will love yourself. Theologian James Bryan Smith says that when Jesus made this statement, he was not so much stating a proposition as a fact. We do love our neighbors as ourselves, meaning, if you're ruthless with yourself, if you're exacting with your judgments, if you are prone to condemn yourself, you'll probably be the same way with other people too. If you've never figured out who you are, if you are not happy with being you, if you wish that you were someone else, if you can't say, I'm me, and just smile at who God created you to be, and if you are unable to receive yourself as a gift given for the sake of others, it's quite possible That the voice that you're hearing of shame is your own negative self-talk. Now with that said, this question that God asks, who told you? It is highly possible that the voice of shame that you hear is the voice of the accuser, the adversary. Because the accuser knows that shame causes you to act like an outsider around God. And so the accuser is happy to sound all the notes of the shame choir at once. Meaning, the accuser likes to paint God as the unaccepting parent, the impossible to please parent, the disappointed parent, the angry, vengeful parent. The accuser would like to get you feeling bad for not being a missionary and bad for not being a better Christian. The accuser is happy to play any negative transference cards from past experiences, get that echo from the past really going. The accuser likes to get you wondering what other people are thinking about you and then filling in that blank with a million different ugly answers and just getting you into a really nasty spiral of self-hatred and negative self-talk. And the accuser likes to whisper lies that make you feel like you're not worthy of connection, belonging, or love. And for some Christians, that whole experience can be really confusing because the accuser makes religious-sounding shame sound so, well, religious. Like, isn't it true that there's some stuff that probably needs to change about me and that I'm not getting right? Well, yes. And... The spiritual journey, it's a journey of change and transformation and sanctification, becoming who God created you to be. But if that voice is saying, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you'll never measure up, you're not good enough, you're not Christian enough, it may well be the voice of the accuser who knows that even the most religious sounding shame will probably cause you to act like an outsider to God. That's just what it does. So what's the way out of this whole thing? How do we recognize the voice of the God who is love? Christians down through the centuries have understood Jesus' crucifixion, death, and resurrection as Jesus defeating the power of shame, and the powers behind shame. Roman crucifixion was the ultimate shame event. In ancient times, all those who were shamed by the community were forced to live outside the city gates. And in crucifixion, you weren't only forced to live outside the city, you were forced to die by torture outside the city. It was the ultimate statement of, you are unworthy of all connection. In his crucifixion, Jesus became the ultimate outsider. Jesus became the one who was naked. And by doing so, Jesus exposed the principalities and the powers of evil, the true powers of fear that are behind all shame. And Jesus defeated those powers. The Apostle Paul says in this way, He, Jesus, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The author of Hebrews says, Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, God knows that shame causes us to act like outsiders, and Jesus reveals a God who becomes the ultimate outsider so that we can be together. We can come to God just as we are. So the author of Hebrews says, So Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the shame he bore. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians and to every person who's felt like they're not blank enough, tall, skinny, wealthy, sexy, whatever it is. 1 Corinthians, God chose the foolish things of the world, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. The Apostle Peter says, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And perhaps my favorite here, the Apostle Paul writes, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. I love that image there of God's love pouring into your heart and washing away all shame with hope. Because hope is the undoing of that feeling that washes over us and makes us feel so flawed that we question whether we're worthy of love, belonging, and connection. The voice of Jesus is never the voice of accusation. The voice of Jesus is the specific invitation to a new and better life. Come, follow me. It's a specific invitation to goodness. There's a world of difference between feeling bad for not being a better Christian Not being a missionary in Africa, fill in the blank, that's all shame. I'm bad, I'm a mistake, I'm not doing enough, I'll never be enough. There's a world of difference between that and the voice that encourages you to invite your neighbor to church, to be more patient with your spouse, to forgive your dad for being impossible to please. To take specific steps to address your addiction to your phone. To apologize to your kids for yelling at them. To give someone a generous gift. To help a specific person in a specific way. The voice of the Holy Spirit, even when the Spirit is speaking conviction, it's always a specific invitation to a specific action. It's this person, this step. It's something you can do today. James, the brother of Jesus, describes the voice of God like this. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. See, the Spirit doesn't come with a message of, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. The Spirit comes with a patient persistent, here is something good to do. Come try this out. Come do this. Come take this step. Even if it is a correction, even if you do need to take responsibility, and yes, that's a real thing, it is not an accusation. It is an invitation to do something new. This is how you recognize the voice of God. Now perhaps as you reflect on this, you recognize the voice of shame coming from a past painful experience. That transference thing. Part of the healing of that experience is to forgive the person who sent those messages of shame in your direction to release them within your memory of the wrong, to wish them well to the point that the wrong that they did is irrelevant to how you actually feel about them. Perhaps as you reflect on this, you realize the person I need to forgive isn't someone else. It's me. I need to forgive myself. Perhaps you have turned your own mistakes into your identity. And you need to release that. The love that God pours into your heart is the love that God wants you to love yourself with and the world with. You are worthy of love and belonging and connection. You are worthy of celebration because God celebrates that you're you. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from NETARTS Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to netartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.